<laughs> Good morning, Hilton Head Island Community Church. All one of you. All right. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, I don't know about you, my favorite intro video all year right there. So anyway, isn't that awesome? Our creative team does a great job, and um, I think that's probably what I look like playing basketball anyway. So um, we're glad that you're here this morning. Uh, for those of you I don't know, my name's Todd, and uh, I'm just glad that you are here and worship with us this morning. Uh, so glad for those of you also who are joining us via our podcast. Uh, we have a growing number of listeners on our podcast, and so we're glad that you uh, are joining in as well. Um, if you have your Bibles this morning, you can go ahead and take them out, and you can turn to the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2 this morning. Acts chapter 2. If you don't have your Bibles, it's fine. We'll have all the words on the screen this morning from the ESV, uh, which is one of my favorite uh, versions and uh, the one that we use most of the time here, the English Standard Version of the Bible. So why don't you join me in a word of prayer this morning? Father God, I thank you so much, and we do give you glory for the freedom that we have in Christ. And we thank you that you are such a gracious God that you sent your one and only son here to this earth and you sacrificed him for our sins. And God, because of that, we can give you praise and you glory and you honor because you have set us free from the bond of sin. And God, I pray today as we dive into your word, God, I pray that you would be in our midst. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come in and comfort those who are here who need to be comforted this morning. Pray that you would help lead us into all knowledge and truth. Not from what I have to say, but God, from your word. And God, I pray that your word would be powerful enough to pierce our hearts and our lives and that it would search us from within. And God, I pray as we dive into one of the most pivotal passages in all of Scripture, certainly the New Testament, God, I pray that you would just be honored and glorified as a result of everything that's said here over these next few moments together. Be with us. Guide us, Holy Spirit. We thank you for what you've done in our lives. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. One of the things that I hear so often about Hilton Head Island Community Church, and I see it week in and week out, um, we observe it, is um, I, I hear the phrase, uh, you guys are so friendly. And uh, I would agree with that. Wouldn't you agree with that, that we are a friendly church? Uh, from the Absolutely. You guys can give that up. That's good. From our parking team um, to our greeters, we have a whole team of hospitality folks who come in and they make the coffee in the morning so that you guys can stay awake through the message and uh, get your caffeine fix. And uh, we have a whole host of people who are really in charge of guest services, of making people feel comfortable. And I think that friendliness is a great characteristic of our church. And it's a great characteristic for a church to have. We are absolutely a friendly church. Um, I even observe it among you. You all stick around after the service and you talk with people and you uh, have conversation with people and hopefully you're talking about things a little more significant than the weather or the fact that my Georgia Bulldogs lost last night to Clemson. I want you Clemson people to get it out right now, okay? All right. All right, enough. All right. <laughs> uh, hopefully your conversation is a little more deep than that kind of thing. But, you know, it's hard, isn't it? 
in, in a place like this where there's so many people um, to come in and, you know, you have an hour, it's, it's hard to get to know people, isn't it, on a Sunday morning? It's very difficult to really get involved in someone's life and to get to know them to the point where you're asking uh, serious questions about what God's doing in their lives or in your life. And it's very difficult. So it, it makes me wonder, you know, we're a friendly church, but are we a church that really lives and eats and breathes authentic, vital community? I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know the answer to that question, but I hope today and I hope through this message series that God would guide us to a point, that he would lead us to a point that we are a church that absolutely believes in the life-changing power of a group of people coming around God's word and the things of God to see their life changed and to share life together. In this series called Get a Life, I love that title, uh, in this series called Get a Life, we've considered a few things that would help us grow in our faith walk or our faith journey or our walk with God, whatever you call the spiritual side of your lives. And we began in week one um, by talking about the fact that the human nature, just by, by the nature of who we are, uh, we have a tendency to drift away from God. That's because of our sin nature. It's because of who we are as people. It's because of the fact that Adam and Eve, we can blame it on them. They sinned all the way back in Genesis 1 in the Garden of Eden. And um, because of that, we often stray away from what God's best is for our lives. So we talked about that in week one, and we talked about how the fact that community is so important to help us keep focused down the middle. We talked about the fact that there are many different factors that will help guide us in our spiritual journey, community being one of them, and we've kind of highlighted community throughout this whole series. Last week, Pastor Cody delivered a message that I thought was incredible, and he went back to the greatest commandment that Jesus gave us. The, the religious leaders of the day, or actually the disciples, were asking, what is the greatest commandment? What's the one thing that we can do? And he answered them by saying, essentially, that we need to love God and love people. And Pastor Cody, our student pastor, challenged us in that. Do we really love God? Is he really the desire of our heart? Do we really love people like Christ loved people? If you missed that message, please go back and listen to it. I just, Cody, thank you for delivering last week's message. Great job. I appreciate so much your word last week. We've got a great student pastor here at Hilton Head Island Community Church. I'm excited about next week, so we're excited about that, buddy. Today, I want to dive in a little deeper. I want to kind of go into the deep end of the pool and talk about what community looks like. And I want us to consider it from the view and from the standpoint of the very first church. You know, it's interesting because um, we, we do kind of sometimes come into church and we have some cute conversation with people. We have some simple and uh, 40,000 foot view conversation with people. And then we're ushered out and we go on with our lives. And, and Pastor Rick Warren, who's the pastor of Saddleback Community Church, one of the world's largest churches in California, maybe some of you have been there, is a fantastic pastor. He was the author of The Purpose Driven Church and then later on The Purpose Driven Life, uh, an amazing man of God. What he says about church life is that we as a church need to be committed to growing larger and smaller at the same time. We need to be committed to, to growing larger and smaller at the same time, 
Well, how in the world do we do that? What does that mean to grow larger and smaller at the same time? Well, I believe what Rick Warren is talking about when he says that, that we as a church need to grow a purpose-driven church will be growing larger and smaller at the same time. I think what he's saying is that we need to be committed to evangelism and we need to be committed to discipleship. And we here at Hilton Head Island Community Church, we're committed to both of those things. It goes right back to the great commission that Jesus gave his disciples before he left the earth to go and to make disciples and to baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we actually accomplish growing larger and smaller at the same time, even through our mission statement. I want you to see our mission statement here. This is the mission statement of Hilton Head Island Community Church. We exist to passionately share the message of Jesus Christ and to lead people to follow him. We exist to passionately share the message of Jesus Christ and to lead people to follow him. That's our mission as a church. And all it is is a restatement of the Great Commission to go into all the world and to preach the good news, and to make disciples, and to baptize them. And it's interesting, we could break that statement up into its two parts. The first one is to passionately share the message of Jesus Christ. That is what we call evangelism. Now, evangelism, a lot of you think of as a church word, and I'm sorry if maybe you're in here and you're a skeptic, or maybe you're not a God follower yet, that we're using that word. But the business community has begun to use the word evangelism. Microsoft has an evangelism department. Did you know that? Now, they're not preaching this message, are they? They're preaching the message of Microsoft, but the word in Greek in the old language means to proclaim, catch this, to proclaim with your mouth the good news of Jesus. That is what evangelism is. That is the first part of our mission statement. We exist to passionately share the message of Jesus Christ. That's evangelism. And evangelism, if done right, will result in more people being a part of this church. We've added roughly 100 people in the last year to the average attendance. And that's a great number. That's exciting, and we need to be growing larger. But, you know, the most important part of that is in this calendar year, since January 1st, we've had nearly three dozen people come to know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. That is evangelism seen lived out. And that is awesome news, isn't it? Absolutely. So I believe that we are growing larger in terms of numbers, and that's great, and a lot of people will criticize that. The whole book of Acts talks about the first church growing in number. That's the whole point of the book of Acts that we'll take a look at in a moment. And by the way, there's a book in the Old Testament. You know what the name of it is? Numbers, okay? So get over it if you don't like big numbers. Evangelism, preaching and communicating the message of Jesus Christ will result in more people being here, and I realize that scares some of you because you've loved our church this size. You've loved our church small. You know what scares me too? But if we're on mission, if we're serious about that, our mission, we are gonna grow larger. But then Rick Warren says that we need to grow smaller at the same time. What does that mean? Well, put our mission statement back up there. There's a second part to the mission statement, and it says to lead people to follow him. To lead people to follow him. 
That's how we can grow smaller. We grow larger in terms of our mission to evangelize, to tell our community about Jesus Christ, and to allow the Holy Spirit to lead them to make a decision for Christ. But the second part of that is that we lead people to follow him. That's a word, just like evangelism is the first part, that's a word that we call discipleship. And that is leading people to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ. And we do that here at Hilton Head Island Community Church now, primarily through our life group ministry. That's what I want to focus on today. Because I think as friendly of a church as we are, I'm not sure that we're quite there in terms of leading people to follow him. I think we have a long way to go. Now, we've come a long way. Joe and Shirley Newton led our life group ministry for the last two years, and they grew it from just a few life groups to about seven or eight life groups or nine life groups. And now we're kicking off this fall with 13 life groups. And I promise you, there'll be more. There'll probably be about five more as a result of these next few weeks. We'll have close to 20 life groups which is so exciting and so thrilling. But what would happen if we all really understood what it meant, what it means to live in community with another believer? That's what I wanna talk about today. What exactly does it mean to be in community with another follower of Jesus Christ? What is a life group? Take a look at your notes this morning. We're gonna dive right in. What exactly is community? What does it mean? Before we do that, let's take a look at Acts 2, 42 through 49. And um, before we do that, let me give you some background on this passage. Jesus has been to this earth. God sent his son Jesus to come to this earth. He's died. He was put in a tomb. He was put in, in a grave, essentially. And he rose again to be with God the Father. And then we read that Jesus came back to earth for 40 days, appeared to roughly 500 of his followers in his glorified form. Can you imagine what that was like to see God, the Son of God, in his glorified form? I would have loved to have been one of those 500. And so Jesus then leaves them for the last time. He promises them that he will send a comforter. He will send someone who will replace his work. And we see in Acts 1, in Pentecost, the, the uh, filling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes down on the followers and all of a sudden we have uh, in our own personal walk with God uh, the idea of the Holy Spirit working in our lives as Christ followers and that's seen in Acts 1. As a result of God's power in the lives of the believers, the Christians who were in Jerusalem, which is where they centered everything out of, they were called the followers of the way. And these Christians numbered roughly 120. And then God's Holy Spirit came down and an amazing thing happened, Pentecost happened, and all of a sudden, thousands and thousands and thousands of people came to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And we read, if we read all of Acts 1 and 2, we find out that it grew from 120 people to over 3,000 in a very short period of time early in the first century. God was doing amazing things in their midst. The gospel was being spread into all the known earth at the time. It was incredible. There was intense persecution that was about to follow. But at this point in time that we're going to read, the church needed to be organized. It needed to come together. It needed some kind of uh, form to its function. And here's how God led them. Take a look at Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they, those followers of the way, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, 
to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to how many? All. To all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord, had, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. A couple things I want to point out in this passage. Number one, they met together in the temple courts. That would have been a similar type environment as this, maybe minus the electric, you know, guitars and the drums and that kind of thing, although they may have had drums. They met together in the temple courts. These followers of the way would get together in a large group, but then this passage describes how they would go into each other's homes and they would do life in a much more intimate setting than they had on Sunday morning. You see, the first century church was doing what Rick Warren talked about. They were growing larger. It says that the Lord added day by day the number of those who were being saved, but they were growing smaller at the same time. Are you with me this morning? They were growing larger and smaller. And, and please, I want you to capture this. Don't miss this. This was the first century church probably about 30 to 40 years, roughly 40 years after uh, A.D. It was, it was just a, a few months after Jesus had died and been resurrected and come back to earth and then went back up to be with God. So this was right after the time of Jesus. And I want you to capture this. These were the first apostles. They were the very first Christians. This was the first church. And what they were doing all the way back in the first century, we today in 2013 have the opportunity to mirror. Isn't that great? I love tradition. Do any of you like tradition? Anyone like tradition? It's not very, you know, uh, it's not very uh, popular to like tradition in these days. Listen, as much as a Georgia Bulldog fan as I am, I loved last night watching that orange Clemson team get together before the game and they all touch Howard's rock and they rush onto the field. No more hooting and hollering Clemson fans, okay? I love that. I hate it because I'm a Georgia fan and they lost last night, but you know what? I love that tradition. Isn't that cool? We see so much tradition these days in collegiate sports and even in pro sports. But you know what? We have the opportunity in the church in 2013 to follow and mirror what the first church did. When Jesus says that nothing, nothing will take the church down, that's what he meant is that some of the things that they were doing all the way back in the first century, we need to be committed to doing today. That's what Life Group is all about. There's a mirror of what they did and what we're doing. Let's dive in and take a look at the notes. What is a Life Group? Number one, we can learn from this passage that a Life Group is a group of people who study God's Word together. This was first and foremost in their mind. Take a look at verse 42. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles. What's that next word? 
teaching, say it again, teaching, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. I don't think it's any coincidence that Luke, who is the author of Luke, the gospel, who's writing this in Acts, there's no coincidence that he mentions that first. You see, the study of God's word ought to be first and foremost. It was in their minds, and it should be in our minds in 2013. That's first and foremost, the study of God's word. And when you experience a life group at Hilton Head Island Community Church, you know that in some form or fashion, you're gonna be studying God's word. They studied it for several reasons. Number one, they were the first church, and they needed to understand what they believed. They, need to ha- they needed to have the intellectual knowledge to know where they stood because Jesus took Judaism and he turned it on his head. You see, that religion was all about rules. Jesus said it's all about grace. That religion said it was all about behavior. Jesus said, no, it's all about obedience. That was from Cody last week. I loved what he said about that. That religion said that everything had to be done according to a system. And Jesus came and he said, I completed the system. And so these followers needed to have intellectual knowledge to know what they believed. We need to have that kind of intellectual knowledge in 2013, am I right? We need to know doctrine, we need to know theology, we need to know what we believe so that when we're faced with life crisis, when we're faced with some circumstances, that we know that we know that we know what we believe. Secondly, they knew that it was life-changing. It wasn't just what they believed. They didn't just study God's word so that they could answer the questions in Bible trivia or be the first one to raise their Bible in a sword drill. They studied God's word because they knew it was powerful. Timothy talks about the fact that God's word is useful for correction, for rebuke. It's the power of God in the Christ follower's life. And they first and foremost focused on God's word. And you will do the same if you're part of a life group here at Hilton Head Island Community Church. You'll study God's word. Secondly, what is a life group? It's a group of people who pray together. Take a look at verse 42 again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, we'll get to that in a moment, the breaking of bread and prayers. They prayed together. They gathered together and they prayed for the needs in the group. They would share what was going on in their life so that they could have someone else praying for them. One of the first life groups that Cynthia and I were a part of, we had a couple in the group. And they came to us one day, and they had, uh, they had five kids, and their fifth child, who had just been born a, a few weeks earlier, um, the doctors found a hole in his heart. And they were absolutely terrified, rightly so. They were scared to death. They were fearful of what the future might hold. The doctors were saying, this is very dangerous. He has to get to nine months old before we can do anything. And so all throughout that period of time, we prayed and we prayed and we prayed for this little baby who had a hole in its heart. And so this couple then, on a Friday, when he was roughly nine months old, went to the doctors and they took a look again and they saw the hole in its heart and they said, absolutely, now he's ready, but we need you to understand that when we do this surgery, which was gonna happen on Monday, just a few days later, this was Friday, they said it's high risk. We don't know what's gonna happen. And it's going to be very dangerous, but it has to be done because this baby had a hole in its heart. 
Well, our life group came together. We as a church came together. We prayed for this family. We prayed, and I want you to hear what we prayed. We prayed specifically that if it was God's will that this child be completely healed. They went in on Monday, and they got very nervous because as the nurses were looking at the child in the pre-op room, they called the doctors in. Three or four doctors came in and converged, and the parents said, what's wrong? What is going on? What is going on here? We're so nervous. And they said, that's the thing. There's nothing wrong. We can't find the hole in that baby's heart. That is the power of prayer. When people come together in small groups and pray. And I know some of you may say, yeah, but I was in a small group and my prayer didn't get answered. I understand that. For whatever reason, that wasn't God's will. But the point is, is that when we come together and pray together, there is a power in our prayers. I hope that you would want to be a part of that kind of community. I would hope that you'd want to be a part of a community where you can pray together, where you can share struggles, you can pray through financial situations, through relational situations, through moving situations, through any kind of situation that you have that you can trust a group of people and pray together. That's what the first disciples did. That's what we should do. Thirdly, a life group is a group of people who gather together regularly. They gather together regularly. They fellowship with one another. Verse 42, read it again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We got that one. We got the prayer at the end. To the fellowship and the breaking of bread. Ah, we finally found the secret. You know what the secret is? Food. Yeah. If you've been in church for any time, you know the secret of gathering a crowd is what? Food, right, Cody? Okay, sometimes we think that the secret is food, but here's what I want you to hear. Food was part of it, but the centerpiece was when they met together around the dinner table, they shared what God was doing in their midst. You see, part of the Jewish culture was that they would gather together in the evening and they would eat together, family and friends. And during dinner, they would share about God, the great deliverer. They would share about what God was doing in their homes and in their families and in their communities. And so these early Christians were used to meeting together in the evening to eat and to share what God was doing. There's a church in Texas, Pantego Bible Church, and the pastor of Pantego Bible Church encouraged his congregation to begin in their minds to start their day at sundown, at 7 p.m., so that they would get into the mindset of the fact that you begin your day around a dinner table with family and friends, sharing like the Jewish people did what God would do. I know that may not be practical for you, but maybe some of you mentally need to get into the mode of thinking of your day beginning at sundown. Maybe it would change what you think about life. I get the distinct impression that these people loved being with each other. I would imagine that there were still the same relational problems that we have today. Hey, we're human. They were too. It wasn't perfect. But they enjoyed being with each other. Take a look at verse 44. And all who believed were together and they had all things in common. You know what my encouragement to you on this is? Some of you may have a thousand excuses why you can't get into a life group. I understand all of them. I really do. My kids are busy. Sydney has ballet. Sean has soccer. We're busy people. I understand busyness. 
Well, we travel a lot. Okay, I, I get that, you know, travel. That, that's, well, I'm scared to share my life with people. I understand that. I'm an extrovert, but I have a little introvert in me. I understand that, that lack of not wanting to share with other people. Here's my challenge to you. Give it a try. And take some community, even if it's not the perfect community. I was talking with someone recently, and they talked about, in one of these life groups, we'll talk about all these next week, is going to meet together on a monthly basis. And I said, you know what? That's better than nothing, isn't it? I mean, gathering together for some kind of meeting is community. It's community. And some community is better than none, no community whatsoever. And so we as people, uh, being a part of a life group, need to be committed to regularly meeting together. Fourth and finally, Bible study, prayer, fellowship, and finally, a life group is a group of people who serve each other and the world around them together. Sometimes verse 45 gets lost, I think, in a study of this passage. It says this, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. This first century church gave and gave and gave, and I believe that serving each other and the community around is one of the most important marks of a life group. When Cynthia and I were first a part of a life group in 1997 at our church in Atlanta, it was a new church, it was just getting going, it was a bunch of couples that um, had just gotten married, and we all were renting apartments, and none of us had any kids, and so we called ourselves the renting, not expecting life group. We quickly changed to the renting and expecting life group when one of them found out they were pregnant. But for a period of time there, our life group, as renters are prone to do, moved just about every week. Somebody was moving from one apartment to the next. And we as a group decided that that was going to be our service to each other. We would help each other move. And we did. Someone would bring the food. Someone would bring a big truck. And we, seems like every weekend for a period of time in the fall of 1998, it seems like all we did was move each other. We were serving each other. Some of you were a part of 30 projects in 30 days, and many of you served the community together. Military and uh, first responders and police and law enforcement experts will tell you that a group of people who already know each other are more likely to make a large impact when they're on a special project or a special task together. You all who are involved in life groups, you have a great opportunity to serve the world around you. One of my favorite stories about this is the story of Lisa and Todd Beamer. Some of you probably know the story of Todd Beamer. He was that heroic young man in the flight of Flight 93, of September 11, 2001. Any of you know of his story? He was the one who gathered a group of people together and rushed into the cockpit to overtake that plane from the would-be terrorists. And the last thing that he cried out to the group of men and women who were rushing in to try to take that plane over was, let's roll. His wife wrote a book about their story together. And I've heard her interviewed several times. And part of the story you may not know is this part of the story. That day, as the word got out that Todd was on that flight, Todd and Lisa were really heavily involved in a very big church in Princeton, New Jersey. 
and they were involved with the student ministry and they were involved in a life group. And that day, their pastor rushed over to their house only to find that he couldn't find a parking place. The reason he couldn't find a parking place that day, once he walked in, is he realized their small group had showed up immediately in a moment of crisis, crisis in mass, serving food, offering hope, bringing their Bibles, praying with the Beamer family in the sudden loss of dad and husband. That is the picture of a life group doing its job. There wasn't room for the pastor. That's good news. That's good news. Some of you wonder what's going to happen when you face an illness. Some of you wonder what's going to happen when you find yourself or a family member in the hospital. Your life group ought to be the care station that you go to at a moment's notice. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. There's a uh, man by the name of Larry Crabb. Larry wrote a book called The Safest Place on Earth. He wrote it about small groups. And he begins the book with, I think, what's an, a very interesting illustration. He begins by telling the story about, about he and his wife were on vacation in Miami, South Beach, one year. And they went to the beach, and they had a nice time on the beach. And then they walked off the beach into the city about one or two blocks away from the beach. And he noticed something unusual. There were all these different buildings lined up in this area, just a couple blocks from the beach. He could still see the beach. And he said there was one particular stretch that was really interesting. He said, all I saw was hundreds of rocking chairs lined up on the porch of this one building. He said they were literally arm to arm, all these rocking chairs. And as they were walking around, he watched people would come out and they'd rock and they would just sit there for hours, he said. They kind of came back by and he saw the same people just sitting there, not discussing anything with each other, just looking out at the beach. And the first thought he had to his wife was, if that's what retirement's about, I don't want to be a part of it because he found out it was a retirement community. He said, I don't want any part of it. And then he realized the picture that he saw was much deeper than that. The picture that he saw was a picture of the modern day church. We're in a line, side by side with each other, sitting, looking out into nothing. Rocking our rocking chairs. And he said, what would it be like? What would it be like if we as a church, as a community of believers, could understand all we have to do is move our chairs and look each other in the eye and begin to have discussion with each other about what life is all about? My question to you this morning is, are you living life in a rocking chair that's looking out into nothing? Or are you living life where you're really connecting with someone else. Our key thought this morning is being in Christian community is how we were designed to experience the Christian life. Start today, fill out a life group sign-up form, choose a group, and get ready. Today, I want you to take these out, these yellow forms that we've given you. These are the 13 groups that we know of right now. And my encouragement and my challenge to you is to fill this out. Give us your name, email, and phone number. Check off one of these groups, one that you think might fit you, and give it to Ryan, who's in the back at our guest service desk. You can drop it. There's a basket. You can drop it in there. Or you can even put it in the giving station on your way out. Now, some of you may want to take this home and pray through that. I'm fine. That's awesome. That's great. Let, let, me, let me talk to you for a moment. Some of you, after this message, you may realize, you know what? 
I feel so strongly about this. I need to be facilitating a group. I need to be facilitating a group. I need to be the type of person who helps guide the group. You don't have to have a, a seminary education. Believe me, you do not have to have a seminary education. You just need to be willing to facilitate discussion. Most of our groups use DVD curriculum. You don't even have to teach. You just have to facilitate discussion around a study guide. So I want to encourage you, if you feel like God is leading you to facilitate, just write the word lead or facilitate, if you can spell it, and put it on this uh, yellow sheet and drop it in in the back. If you take that back to Ryan, she'll hand you a packet of information on what it means to be a facilitator. The other thing I want to let you know is that even over the last couple days, we've had a new group start that didn't get on this. It's going to be located in Bluffton, and it looks like we're going to have a Bluffton group. So if you're interested in being a part of a group that meets in Bluffton, I know some of you drive across the bridge, um, just write down Bluffton, and we will get you in to a life group. We'll take your information, and by the week's end, by the end of next week, a leader will be in touch with you. And we're going to have this open for the next three weeks and let you join a group. Next week, you're going to hear from some of the group leaders, and we're going to describe all these groups in detail. I know some of you are scared. I know some of you have the excuses, but why not try? Why not give it a try? If it was good enough for those first ragamuffin Christians, then it's good enough for us today, isn't it? Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, I thank you so much for the life-changing power of Jesus.